Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to, to look into your word and to look at a particular issue about Valentine's Day and, uh, Lord, how we can uh, really use this day to, to the best and uh, to the glory of God. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to, uh, to, to not just kind of be apathetic about this day, but actually use it in a way that actually brings honor and glory to you and help us to see what that is and, and help us to uh, be very attentive and focused on these things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, today is Valentine's Day, and so, and by the way, uh, thank you for all of you guys who did childcare last night. You guys were boss. It was very awesome. So uh, I appreciate it. The parents appreciate it. I've gotten plenty of thank yous from people about it, so, so thank you. Uh, that was your work. That wasn't mine. I keep getting the thank yous, but I'm like, <laughs> it's all them. Like, I was just kind of overseeing it, so. Um, but today is Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is, as you know, a wonderful celebration about human love and romance, okay, in marriage and, and, or even in dating relationships, I guess, too. But, but you know, guys write ushy-gushy poems and nice notes to girls and stuff. They give them roses and chocolates and candy hearts and all those kinds of things. You know, couples go on dates and they stare into each other's eyes and, you know, they, they go on long walks in the park or on the beach or something like that. You know, they make nice dinner reservations and all that. But here's the thing. Valentine's Day has taken on a personality of its own. It really has. Uh, and it's far removed from the ushy-gushy poems and hearts and chocolates that we're used to thinking about, okay? In our culture, or in a culture where relationships are no longer taken seriously, hardly at all, it seems like, and singleness is on the rise, Valentine's Day has actually picked up a goofy persona. It really has. Uh, it's popular today to turn Valentine's Day into a funny spectacle, okay? And while I do have a deep respect for Valentine's Day, I'm actually not necessarily opposed to some of the humor that often gets associated with Valentine's Day. Maybe that's just because I'm single, I don't know. But, uh, but as long as it's not taken too seriously and, and it's, you know, it's appropriate to read or to watch, okay? Now, one of the top ways Valentine's Day has turned into... Uh, into something funny is through cheesy Valentine's Day cards, okay? Or uh, better known as Valentine's, right? You, you get a Valentine. Uh, and you know them. You've received them when you were probably little. Um, cheesy Valentine's, for some reason, are the epitome of Valentine's Day in our culture. I don't know why that is, but it is. Uh, we love to laugh and have stupid fun. That's just kind of the way it is. And the most popular form of, of cheesy Valentines are corny pickup lines, okay? And let me give you a couple of lame examples, okay? Uh, is your name Wi-Fi? Because I'm feeling a connection, okay? That's like, it's so cheesy, but it's true, okay? I guess. I'm not the, I'm not the Valentine you want. I'm the Valentine you need. Be mine. If you've seen The Dark Knight, then you understand that. Are your eyes Ikea? Because I'm lost in them. <laughs> if you've been to Ikea, it is like a maze trying to walk through that place, okay? Um, but now, these are cheesy, okay? And if you think that Valentine's can't get any cheesier than these, let me expand your horizons for just a little bit, okay? The only thing cheesier than Valentine's are Christian Valentine's, okay? <laughs> Christian Valentine's do exist, and here's a couple of examples, all right? I put the stud in Bible study. 
and it's basically just a picture of the same guy over and over again, but I believe one of my ribs belongs to you, okay? So this is talking about, you know, that, you know, Adam, you know, Adam fell asleep in the garden and God took one of his ribs and created Eve out of it, okay? So it's dumb, but okay. The, not, not, the, not the story of Adam and Eve. It's, that's not dumb. That, that Valentine is dumb. Uh, is it a sin that you stole my heart? <laughs> Ten Commandments. Uh, I'm usually not very prophetic, but I can see you and I together. Okay. Last night I was reading the book of Numbers. Then I realized I didn't have yours. <laughs> What's your name and number so I can add you to my prayer list? Prayer list. Okay. You are you are so unblemished that I would sacrifice you. That's horrible. That's that's not a Valentine. I don't know what that is. I just thought it was really bizarre, so I threw it in there. I know you're looking for a knight in shining armor. Good thing I wear the full armor of God. Yeah, all right. Cheese ball right there. I love how equally yoked we are. So we talked about that last week, right? So equally yoked means you know, that two Christians are married together. So um, anyways, seven plagues is nothing compared to what I would go through for you. So, uh, and, and it, you know, here's just a few others uh, that I found as well. I want to greet you with a holy kiss, okay? Uh, did God rub mud in my eyes because I was blind to beauty before I saw you? The Bible says to think about whatever is pure and lovely. So I've been thinking about you all day, okay? So Valentine's Day is a very odd day for someone like you, okay, in, the, in this kind of way, because you're not married, all right? And, and you're not dating, I don't think. And so you don't really have that special someone in your life right now. So Valentine's Day is kind of an awkward day for you. What do you do as a single teenager? Uh, what, do you, what do you do on Valentine's Day? Like, well, how did, how, what's Valentine's Day for you? Is this just a day reserved for couples? Or are you banned from joining the Valentine's Day club? You know, you can't have any fun. You know, this problem has actually caused people in recent years to give Valentine's Day an additional name. Some people like to also call it Singles Awareness Day, okay? Singles Awareness Day. <laughs> And, and it's called Singles Awareness Day be- because you're never more aware you're single than this time of year, <laughs> I guess. Now, Singles Awareness Day people who actually advocate this will not say that, okay? That's just kind of the joke from the outside looking in. But Singles Awareness Day is a real day. And calling Valentine's Day Singles Awareness Day allows singles kind of not to be left out on Valentine's Day. So Singles Awareness Day is really a way for singles to feel included is kind of the idea, okay? Now, some people like to celebrate Singles Awareness Day on Valentine's Day, but other people prefer the day after Valentine's Day. Okay, now actually that's kind of the consensus today. So February 15th is the official Singles Awareness Day, all right? And uh, it basically the idea is it avoids all the commercialism and merchandise that gets associated with Valentine's Day, all right? So here's how one article describes Singles Awareness Day, okay? For singles, Valentine's Day can be a simple and cruel reminder that they are alone. No pink stuffed animals for them. No tacky heart-shaped boxes of poor quality chocolate either. 
though one does tend to wonder whether that really makes them worse off in the first place. Singles Awareness Day is a humorous holiday to celebrate being single, to share with single friends, to send each other presents, or even to, show, uh, to order yourself some flowers, okay? Um, which that's just really sad if you're doing that, but okay. <laughs> On this day, many people wear green, okay, as it is the complementary opposite of red. Another popular option is the absence of color altogether, which is black, okay? So that's just really sad, but you turn goth for a day, and that symbolizes an absence of celebration. Some who celebrate Singles Awareness Day just want to remind romantic couples that they don't need to be in a relationship to celebrate life, and that the key to being happy is being able to be happy with yourself. So contrary to popular misconceptions, Singles Awareness Day is not about self-pity, but rather a chance to announce to the world that you are a single and happy to be so. Um, this is the day that all of the single people can proudly stand up and show that it is okay to be single. So take that, Cupid. So that's, that sounds, that, that, that's kind of what people will postulate about what Singles Awareness Day is all about. And that sounds good in theory. That sounds good in theory. But there's a serious problem with Singles Awareness Day, okay? Whether it comes from self-pity, you know, I wish I was in a relationship, or whether it comes from pride, you know, I don't need a relationship, Singles Awareness Day is all about me. It's all about me. And that's the problem with it. Singles Awareness Day diverts attention away from the romance of Valentine's Day between two people uh, to a singular focus on yourself. So this simply isn't biblical because it's all about me. And the Bible doesn't really condone this necessarily. So Singles Awareness Day didn't arise out of biblical thinking. It's actually very humanistic. Um, now, I'm not saying like you can never celebrate Singles Awareness Day and do fun stuff and have parties and hang out with single friends. That's not what I'm saying. But the concept behind it that drives it is not biblical. It's actually very pagan. Um, so what should you, single teenager, what should you do on Valentine's Day? I don't believe celebrating Singles Awareness Day is necessarily the answer. I don't. Uh, this isn't really an opportunity for you to trumpet your autonomy, okay, and your you, just you being single and all that. There's got to be something better singles can do on Valentine's Day than promote themselves. And so what should you do on Valentine's Day is an important question, but I'm going to change the wording just a little bit, and I'm going to ask an even better question. Here's the million-dollar question you must ask yourself. What does God want me to do on Valentine's Day? What does God want me to do on Valentine's Day? It doesn't matter if you're single. Valentine's Day smacks you in the face every year, and so you have to contend with it. What are you going to do with it? What does God want you to do with it? The answer to this question is far, um, the answer to this question is far better than anything Singles Awareness Day can offer you. And the answer comes in three little words, okay? Three little words. And it's not, I love you, okay? That's normally the way we think about the three little words, all right? Uh, you know, there's that song from the Plain White Tees. You know, there's only one thing to do, three words for you, I love you. Anyways, but do you guys know that song? Probably not. It's a little old, but that's, that's, that's kind of popular in our culture. Three little words is I love you. But I've got three better words to help you survive Valentine's Day, okay? And it's this. Remember Jesus Christ. 
Remember Jesus Christ. Okay? Those are your three little words. And I'm borrowing these words from Scripture itself. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, from the seed of David, according to my gospel. So I ask you, Cornerstone, not to remember yourself on Singles Awareness Day or Valentine's Day or whatever you want to call it. I'm asking you not to be preoccupied with your loneliness if you're heartbroken. I'm asking you not to assert your pride uh, if you're resentful in some way. I ask for three simple words. Remember Jesus Christ. I ask you to remember Jesus Christ because Jesus is your redeemer. Uh, 1 Peter 1.18 says that you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. I ask you to remember Jesus Christ because Jesus is your savior. Uh, he saved you from eternal judgment and gave you eternal life. Titus 3.5 talks about how we were not saved by our righteous works, but we were saved according to his mercy. And I ask you to remember Jesus Christ because Jesus is your advocate. He alone stepped in as the middleman to heal your relationship with God. And so 1 Timothy 1, 2, 5, sorry, 1 Timothy 2, 5 describes how there's just one God and there's just one mediator between God and man. And so that's why I'm asking you to remember Jesus Christ. But more than anything else, I ask you to remember Jesus Christ because Jesus is your husband. Jesus is your husband. And guys, you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But it's true. That's the way the Bible pictures it. Uh, it 2 Corinthians 11 says, I betrothed you to Christ. He's talking about all believers there. I betrothed you to Christ. I caused you to marry Christ. And so whether Valentine's Day floods your mind with sorrow because you're lonely, or whether it fills your heart with frustration because you're jealous, or even if you have absolutely no feelings about Valentine's Day whatsoever, I want you to remember Jesus Christ on Valentine's Day. That's what I want you to do. Seize this day as an opportunity to celebrate that Christ loves you. Rejoice in your closest companion who promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13 says that. That's your Valentine's Day. That's the ultimate Valentine's Day. The, the, but the love of Christ has for us, the, the love that Christ has for us is different uh, than what we would normally consider Valentine's Day kind of love. And there's really two kinds of love, okay? And we could think about it this way. There's romantic love, you know, and, and, and then there's Christ love, okay? Romantic love includes all the ushy-gushy feelings on Valentine's Day, the butterflies in your stomach, but Christ love is different. It's very different. This love is unlike any love you could ever experience with another human being. It's far richer and deeper. It's more personal and intimate. It's more active and proactive. It's the greatest kind of love that exists. And I think no better passage spells this out for us uh, and spells out how amazing this love is than Romans chapter 8. So please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And this morning, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter uh, to be able to see just how amazing this kind of love is. And in this passage, in this beautiful passage, I want to highlight for you three earth-shattering reasons Christ's love can't be beat. Okay, Three earth-shattering reasons Christ's love can't be beat. Uh, you can't top Christ's love, 
And this text gives us three compelling reasons why, okay? And the first reason, as you're getting there to Romans 8.31, is that Christ's love is sacrificial. Christ's love is sacrificial, okay? And look at verses uh, 31 and 32. That's, that's where we'll find this here. So what will we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't in, indeed did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for all of us. How will he not freely give us all things? Okay? You have to, you have to think about this in terms of sports to be able to kind of understand what's going on here, okay? Or else this just isn't going to make any sense. When you play a sport like soccer or baseball or football, you always want to have the best players on your team. You don't want a team full of careless, inexperienced, unskilled homies taking up all your positions, okay? You want the most devoted, experienced, and skilled athletes out on the, on your, on the field and on your squad. Now, imagine if God played for your team. Uh, you would never lose. Like, it just, it's not going to happen, okay? By default, you always win. God's the ultimate trump card for sports, okay, if you want to think about it that way. But here's the thing. God's not on your team. God's not on your team. God, God's on the opposing team. He's against you. Uh, God's on the rival team. Uh, James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Everyone starts out against God. God's always on the other team. And we're all friends with the world, and so we're all enemies of God. We're all on a different team than God. And that changes everything. Whereas before, you could never lose with God on your team. Now that God's on your team, you can never win. You can never win. You're doomed. You're done. You might as well just throw in the towel. It's over. But something's changed. Something's changed. And we know that something's changed because the Apostle Paul who wrote this begins this passage by assuming that God's on our side. He says, if God is for us, and that assumes that God's for us, then who can be against us? What changed here? How do we get on God's team? Or how did, how did God get on our team? How did that work? The answer's in verse 32. He says, he did not spare his own son, but he gave himself up for us. How will he not freely uh, give us all things? What's the answer here? God made a trade. God made a trade. In sports, trades happen all the time. Players get swapped for different, on different teams. God did not spare his own son. In other words, he didn't keep his son from joining the losing team. Jesus wanted to trade himself to the losing team in exchange for you to come over to the winning team. And God said, okay, okay, I'll let it happen. And so verse 32 says, God gave him up. God gave him up. Do you see those words there? It says God gave him up. Uh, perhaps it says in your Bible, God delivered him up. If you have like an NASB or something like that. That word for gave or for deliver is too nice of a word. It's too nice. It's too cute. <laughs> okay? 
That's not really what this word means. This word really means to betray. It means to betray. God betrayed his own son. God betrayed his own son. Not in the sense that Jesus didn't know it was coming. Uh, God didn't stab Jesus in the back when he least expected it. But in the sense that God gave him up to die. God gave him up to, to die. That's the betrayal we're talking about. He sent Jesus to his death. And that's what this word means. God sent Jesus to die so that you could live. In the divine trade agreement, God acquired your soul in exchange for Jesus. You got a position on God's roster, and Jesus took your old position on your old roster. And then, without even flinching, God went to war against his own son. And he pummeled him so badly that he beat him to a bloody pulp. All because he wanted, well, he and his son wanted you on his team. That's what he did. Now tell me that's not the best kind of love there is. Tell me that's not the best kind of love there is. God's love is deeply and truly sacrificial. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Those are Jesus' very own words. But then Jesus says this, You are my friends if you do what I'm commanding you. Jesus says, You are my friends. And for those of you who have placed your faith in Christ and are bearing fruit in your life, living in obedience to him, you are friends of Christ. The only, uh, the only way that's possible is because God was willing to exchange you for his son. It's not because there was anything attractive about you. It was the stupidest trade in the history of ever. Okay? It was dumb. If you think about it logically, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you trade the most valuable player of all time for a third-string bench warmer? That doesn't make any sense. But listen to what Romans 5 says earlier in the book. Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if that doesn't thrill your heart about uh, the love of God and doesn't, and doesn't excite you to love God, I don't know what will. I don't know what will. We worship and we serve, we obey, we love a very loving God, a God who was willing to sacrifice his own son against all odds. Christ's love is sacrificial, but number two, Christ's love is also reconciling. Christ's love is more than sacrificial. It's more than sacrificial. It's also uh, reconciling. Look at verses 33 and 34 of Romans 8. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is the one who died. Much more, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Christ's love is more than sacrificial. What also makes Christ's love so distinct, so different, so superior, is that it's also reconciling. And that means that it, it puts re the relationship back together. And 
to explain this, verses 33 and 34 switch the illustration for us. Uh, Before we talked about sports to kind of uh, see the analogy, but now the picture is one of a court of law. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with court proceedings and how they work. I actually am not very familiar with them, but you don't have to really be a court rocket scientist, so to speak, to understand what's going on here. Imagine you're on trial. You stole a trillion dollars from your boss, and you spent it all, and you have no way to pay him back, okay? Uh, He sues you, and you go to trial, and you have no lawyer to defend you because you don't have any money, so you're done. Uh, You are the lawyer, and you have no knowledge of the law and how to work the system. You're a noob at anything law-related, okay? Uh, And so you're a basket case. Uh, You're crying in the court chair, just waiting for the judge to sentence you to, to life in prison or execution. But you've got one hope. Perhaps the prosecutor, the lawyer trying to paint the worst picture of you as possible, is also a noob at this, okay? Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing, and it's someone who doesn't have a clue. So in your puddle of tears, you sneak a peek to catch a glimpse at the man opposite you, and guess who it is? It's God. (laughs) It's none other than your boss, who was God. And so there's two things really going on here. One, he has all the power to put you away because he's never going to lose. And number two, he has all the motivation to bring you down because he was your boss. So, but you're like, well, maybe, maybe the judge will go easy on me. Well, you look at the judge, and the judge is also God. So it's, 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 you're done here. You're, you're doomed. But once again, something's changed. Something's changed. Because once again, we don't find you struggling to survive. Uh, We find the opposite. Verse 33 says, who can possibly bring a charge against God's elect? Who can bring a charge against you? Who can accuse you of any wrongdoing? God is the one who justifies. Something has changed here. And the one person you would think would be your greatest cause of demise turns out to be your greatest advocate. God is actually for you. He's not against you. And so the prosecutor doesn't prosecute, and the judge doesn't judge, and you're free. You're off the hook. How's that possible? Well, verse 34 gives us the answer. Who is the one who is going to condemn you? Christ is the one who died, and he was raised from the dead, and he is at the right hand of God interceding for you. What's changed? Once again, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus has changed the entire situation. He flipped the scenario completely on its head because he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus took your place. We just talked about that. But do you realize that when he took your place, he didn't just absorb your punishment. He also became your mediator. He became your mediator. A mediator is just an outside party that helps two other parties put together a broken relationship. Uh, The relationship is between you and God, and Jesus steps in the middle as the mediator, and he reconciles your relationship with God. He puts it back together. But how on earth did Jesus reconcile your relationship with God? Well, he paid your debt in full. Those trillion dollars that you owed, He paid it all back. Your sinful debt created an endless divide between you and God, 
one you could never hope to cross, one you could never hope to fulfill. But when Jesus died on the cross, he offered his blood as payment that was worth enough to erase that divide. Now, now you are reconciled to God. Now you have forgiveness from him for your sins. Now, as Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are justified. You are justified. That's a legal term. That's a court term. Justified just means that you're considered right. You're considered right in the, in the eyes of the law. You didn't do anything wrong. And the question is, but, but I, I did something wrong, so how's that possible? Because Jesus, Jesus took the wrong that you did, and he gave you the right that he has. Romans, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus switched places. And Romans 3.23, in following, describes this transaction for us perfectly. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And, you know, tell me again that that's not the best kind of love that there is. A reconciling love. God's love is personally and intimately reconciling in nature. Colossians 1.13 says, God rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so for those of you who are Christians, you are reconciled to Christ. You have a personal relationship with Him. You love Him. You want to talk to Him. You want to obey Him. You want to proclaim His love and His greatness. But if you're not a Christian, this won't make sense to you. Why would you want to be reconciled to God? You hate God. You love the fact that, that, that you're in court with God and you're divided against him because you think you can win. But you can't. Have you counted the cost of that? God is against you. How can you possibly win against God? Jesus can pay that debt that you have. Are you willing to give up, uh, to give up your own debt? Are you willing to give up your sin to be set free from that burden? And so Christ's love is sacrificial, it's reconciling, and it's also victorious. It's also victorious. The third and final reason is that is perhaps the best reason of all, and we see that in verses 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written uh, that for this reason, or for your sake, we are being put to death the whole day. We are being considered like sheep for slaughter. But in all these things, we, are, we overwhelmingly conquer through the one who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How on earth, or how is it that God can... Um, can be so loving toward us? How is that possible? Well, our third and final reason gives us 
this particular reason. It says that Christ's love is victorious. It's victorious. And Paul crescendos this passage uh, with these last couple of verses here. He gives us kind of a big drum roll, a climax of sorts, and he does this by giving us two lists, two lists. Uh, Look at verse 35. He says, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Verse 38 says, uh, death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things, uh, things at a future time, powers, height, and depth. There are two lists here, and they're definitely talking about two different things. The first talks about the, the dangers, dangerous circumstances of life. The second refers to dan- dangerous enemies of life. Uh, there are dangerous circumstances in life. There's sometimes when bad things happen, and there's dangerous um, people in life who want to hunt you down and kill you. Uh, There's dangerous enemies who include, you know, all kinds of powerful people in leadership all over the world. Um, uh, But there's also like spiritual uh, uh, enemies like like demons uh, all over the place. We don't think about this often, but Satan and all his forces want you to fail. And so there's all kinds of problems in this life. There's all kinds of stress. There's all kinds of pain. This is part of the curse of life. But sandwiched in the middle of these two lists is the main point of it all. Verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer through uh, all these things through the one who loved us. It doesn't matter what you experience in life. You could go through persecution. You could, could, could encounter danger. You could die by the sword, but you will definitely win through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who's against you. It could be the angels. It could be world leaders, uh, something in this present hour, something 10 years down the road, something high, something low. It makes no difference. You will definitely win through Jesus and his love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This is definitive. This is sure. If you are questioning whether you are saved or not, or whether Christ's love is actually powerful enough to keep you forever this, these verses say it's going to happen. Christ's love sticks. You see, Jesus doesn't just love with his emotions. He doesn't just feel for you. When Jesus loves, it moves mountains. It literally moves mountains. It shakes the foundations of the world. It actually redirects nations and philosophies and religions just to make sure that you will win and you will never lose. And that's why Jesus' love is so different. You know, Valentine's, you know, half joke about things like, you know, baby, nothing could ever stop me from loving you and stuff like that, you know. But no one would ever take that seriously because I could kill you and then your love is no more. So, sorry. (laughs) But it's serious for Jesus. Even death cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Human love fails. You know, if you, if you put your stock in, you know, finding someone uh, and marrying someone one day, human love's going to fail. Just ask anyone in the world. People fail people. But Jesus never fails in his love. Never. That's the best kind of Valentine's love there ever is. Now tell me, that is not the best kind of love. God's love is actively and proactively victorious. 
For those of you who are Christians, you are victorious. You never lose. And what, uh, what looks like a loss in this life is actually victory. We don't just love Christ because his love's sacrificial. We don't just love him because his love's reconciling. We love him because his love's victorious. And so that's, that's the kind of love that Christ has for us. It's different than any kind of Valentine's love. It's similar, but it's way better. It's way different. Way different. And when I think about the love of Christ, how it's sacrificial and reconciled and victorious in nature, I find it inexhaustible. You can't plumb the depths of God's love. It's measureless. It's vast. It's far too deep to mine. And it kind of reminds me of the beautiful last verse in the hymn, The Love of God, which goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies a parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song that's the kind of love that we have in christ don't let your valentine's valentine's day be all about you don't let it even just be just another day of the year take this day as a day to celebrate god's love for you and that really comes with just three little words. Remember Jesus Christ. And let's go to him in prayer for a moment. Father, we want to remember you on this day. And while we're excited to celebrate the human love that people have for one another, uh, that couples have, uh, Lord, as most of us in this room being single, uh, we don't have uh, that kind of human love yet. And even at, at the, 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 the age of these teenagers here, Father, uh, that's not something that probably needs to be on their mind at the moment, necessarily. But Father, there's one thing that should be on our minds, one thing we should remember, and that is you. We want to remember Jesus. We want to remember his love, and that love trumps all love. May we find hope in that. May we get excited about that. May we rejoice in that. So, Father, help us to do that. Break down any hearts and barriers that have not loved you because, Father, you have not shown love to them yet. So, Father, we ask that you would show love and that your spirit would convict sin and that then we would respond in love to you. So, Father, please bless us with this. May we be mindful of Christ. May we go away excited about him. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.